We're so glad that you're listening to the Branches Podcast. If you're in the Houston area, we'd love to see you in person at 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. For more information, go to brancheshtx.org. We hope this message helps you draw closer to God and that you hear the good news that you belong. Thanks for listening. Good morning. It's good to see each of you today on this uh, holiday weekend as we uh, begin a new two-week series called Apprentice. And if you would, take a moment uh, while you're in your seat to find one of those QR codes around you or the one on the screen to check in. Let us know that you're here today. If you weren't here last week, we have a new check-in system, and so uh, try it out. And also, if it breaks or something goes well or asks you a weird invasive question or something, uh, let me know and we'll fix it. We're trying it out. This is the second week we're using it. But uh, we love that you check in so we can keep up with you um, and can share what's going on in the life of this community. And as Quentin said, as we shortly approach um, one year celebrating together, being uh, a community for one year, we're really excited about that. And there's a lot going on for us to celebrate that. So if you would check in and let us know you're here today, that would be awesome. Especially if you're a first-time guest, I'd love to meet you after the service today. But like I said, we're, we're starting this new series called Apprentice, and it's just this week and next week, and Pastor Amy, who's here today, she'll follow up next week, and I was joking with her this week, like, you can clean up for me next week, you know, if I say anything weird or bad, uh, so I expect that, maybe, that I'll, maybe that I'll say something um, not quite right today, because we're tackling a really difficult text, and as I was reading this text and sharing with other people this week, uh, this teaching of Jesus that we'll tackle today, uh, you know, I have this kind of joke that I make, but it makes me kind of nervous to say, like, who picked this? And it was me, you know, that I, I decided a while ago that this is the, the text that I would preach on, uh, and then when it comes time to write the sermon, I'm like, dang, this is really tough. I should just pick something easier, you know, like love your enemies or something like that. And so here we are, uh, and this two-week series comes from this uh, idea, not just this idea, but this piece of concrete information in the Bible that in the New Testament, when Jesus uses the word disciple, most often he's using the word mathetes, which is this Greek word that means something more like apprentice or pupil. And to be an apprentice or pupil of Jesus is very different than just being like an intellectually assenting religious person, but it means you're modeling your life after him. And we're really convicted here at Branches that that's the whole ballgame. Like that's the center point of what it means to be a Christian is to be a disciple, an apprentice, a pupil, a student of Jesus. To be more like him, to draw close to him and proximity to him that you be become more like Jesus in your character and what you do and who you are and what you say and your conduct and, and when people describe you, that when they describe you, they're really describing traits that you received and modeled your life after Jesus. And so, of course, as I've been thinking about this idea and how we model our lives, and this is something that I think about a lot, how we change, how we become more like Jesus, I've been thinking about other people's habits and of course, my own habits. And we just had this series, You Are What You Love, which is really about habit formation. And so I've been thinking about those things that I do that maybe I wish I didn't do. And maybe those things I do and say that other people wish I didn't say or do. Uh, one of which is, and this is something that was caught from my dad, not taught, was that I really like spicy food a lot. I have this like really vivid memory of uh, going to a Thai restaurant in Kansas with my family and my uncle Matt and my dad. When it came time to order, you know, sometimes at Thai restaurants, they'll say, okay, and then what level of spicy do you want? One to five. And this place had one to five and then also Thai hot. So like extra spicy. And my dad ordered Thai hot and my uncle Matt did. And 12 year old Colin was like, tie hot, you know? And it's like, are you enjoying it? And like, my nose is running and I'm crying. I'm like, it's great. I love it. (laughs) 
But the thing that, that, that happens when I eat hot food and spicy food is almost immediately, even if it's just a little bit spicy, I get the hiccups. Does this happen to anybody else? Okay. <laughs> I thought it was a thing that happened, but I guess just me. <laughs> I get the, the spicy food hiccups is what I call them. And I've learned that for my wife, this is something that uh, they call these days an ick. You guys know an ick? Because if you are dating right now, like you have an ick, like you, you meet somebody and then they do something, you're like, everything else is great. That's an ick. Uh, this is an ick I have that, you know, the, my wife sees in me. Like when I start eating spicy food and we'll be together and like we'll get Chipotle or we'll get Thai food or something and I'll get something spicy and it's like almost immediate and I can feel her looking at me. <laughs> it's an ick. Uh, and I've learned, and I haven't been on a date since like 2012, so I really don't know this, but I see it on the internet. When people talk about icks, they'll say, oh, new ick just dropped, and it's like, I went on a date, and this guy did this, and it's an ick for me. There's some examples I found this week. This gal was uh, dating this guy, and they went to the store, and he couldn't reach something on a higher shelf, so he did this little hop, and she was like, new ick, <laughs> watching my boyfriend hop to reach something from a higher shelf. Or uh, this couple went on a Bahama vacation, and they were snorkeling, and she looked under the surface, and his little legs were paddling, and <laughs> she was like, new ick. <laughs> or like how somebody sits, or maybe a word they say, like I saw this one, this girl was saying like, uh, new ick, I heard my boyfriend say his tummy hurt, <laughs> new ick. And those are kind of trivial, and you kind of look on Twitter or TikTok or something, and these list of icks, and some of them are really shallow, superficial, whatever, but they're funny. But then you probably know, maybe in dating, romantic life, or in friendship, or people that you work with that you have icks, and maybe you don't call them that, but you get to know somebody, and it's like 99% great, like I love this person, and then you hear them say something that offends you, or maybe you went on a date with someone, and you're like, this is going to be great, and then you find out their politics are different than yours, ick. <laughs> or maybe you really get to know someone and you, know, you find out that they actually know someone you know and it's someone you don't like but they really like them, ick. <laughs> or you, you work with someone and you work with them for a really, really long time and then you discover they do something one way and you do it another way. And it's, so it's not just this romantic way of talking about like, oh, I would really like this person, but they hopped to reach something on a higher shelf, or they have different politics than I do, or a different opinion than I do, a different outlook. But like we have these, these barriers or these ways that we've built up around ourselves, knowingly or unknowingly, that when that barrier is crossed, we have an initial visceral reaction. And I share all this not just to say like, Landon has an ick for me and it really hurts my feelings, even though I have no icks for her. <laughs> uh, but to say that it's a common thing among all of us. And it sneaks up on us too, that, that someone will say something to us and we just have that immediate reaction. It's not even just like we consider it for a moment, it's just immediate. Something touches our spirit or our heart, our inclination or our preferences, and it, you just roll your eyes or you kind of shrug your shoulders or you, know, you initiate your gag reflex or something. And I say that because when I read this week's text, I just want to be upfront with you because I also want to give you permission and give you freedom and comfortability that when you read the Bible, you can have an ick. And even and especially when you read Jesus' words, that if you're confronted by them and they make you feel a certain way or you have an initial kind of repulsed reaction, you're not alone. 
And I could probably speak for the other pastors in the room and the other religious leaders in the room that when you read the scriptures and even when you read Jesus's words and say you have a red letter Bible, you're reading the red letters, you're like, I know I should really like this, but I have a reaction to it. That I had this reaction this week when I read these words of Jesus. And in Jesus' teachings in Matthew 10 that we'll read today, I had a visceral response to it. I had a reaction to it. And so I've shared this before, and I do this sometimes too, that when you know that you're about to say or hear something difficult, if you're in a difficult conflict sort of meeting where you need to say something hard or receive some hard feedback or something like that, that we know psychologically and physiologically that if you open your hands, just have this physical open posture, that it opens you in your spirit, in your heart, and your emotions. And so if you wanna be open with me today, I'm gonna to have one of my hands open as I read these words of Jesus so I can have an open posture to understand and hear what Jesus wants to say through these words. And if you're at home, nobody can see you. I can't see you, open your hands. Do what makes you feel comfortable uh, to, to open to hear these words from Jesus. So hear these words from Matthew 10, starting in verse 24. A disciple is not above the teacher, nor a slave above the master. It is enough for the disciple to be like the teacher and the slave like the master. And if they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? I'm skipping ahead to verse 34. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to set man against his father and a daughter against his mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and no one's foes will be members of one's own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it. Those who lose their life for my sake will find it. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. God, would you open us up? And not just in this moment, but every time we encounter your word and your word encounters us, will you make us open to hear it? Help us embrace our reactions to it, to understand them, to see them, to be confronted by you, to wrestle with you, to see something new about you and about ourselves. And in this moment, use these words to challenge us to be your disciples, to be your apprentice, to be your pupil, even when it's hard. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. Russell Moore, uh, many of you may be familiar with, was a really high up leader in the Southern Baptist Convention. And he faced a lot of criticism for some things that he published and said publicly. And uh, recently in an article kind of talking about the crisis of evangelical Christianity, he described a moment where he had preached a sermon or shared a talk where, in which he had said, uh, love your enemies and turn the other cheek and don't speak ill to those who persecute you. And someone essentially said, this was a, a, not verbatim, but a paraphrase of the reaction was, uh, that doesn't work anymore. That's too soft. Where did you get that? And Russell Moore's like, that's Jesus. <laughs> and when I read that this week, I was like, oh, I, I have these icks, I have these negative reactions to things that Jesus say, and other people have maybe the equal and opposite reaction to other things that Jesus say. And if you were to read, start maybe in Matthew 5 and go through the rest of the gospel, you would be at some point confronted by a difficult word, a hard teaching. One maybe you know is present and you can feel yourself speeding past it really quickly. You're like, I wanna to get to the good stuff. 
I, w- I don't want to go to the cross. I want to get to the resurrection. I want to hear about blessed are the peacemakers and blessed are the poor and not, I have not come to bring peace but a sword. I can speed right through that. And any talk about judgment or outer darkness or weeping and gnashing of teeth, not for me today. I want the warm, cozy, loving embrace of Jesus. And this is like a really gross oversimplification, but we might even like boil it down to maybe your ideological persuasion that if you, you find yourself more like left-leaning, the more judgment and kind of harsher passages of Jesus, like the ones we read today, might rub you one way, might frustrate you and make you speed past them. And maybe if you're maybe on the right, and this again is a gross oversimplification, maybe the, the cozier ones, they'll like turn the other cheek and love your neighbor. Maybe those are a little harder for you to hear. Maybe that's not a helpful kind of spectrum at all, but maybe you you can think of a a passage, and maybe not just Jesus, but somewhere in the Bible where you're confronted by a word of scripture that you'd rather not be there, frankly. That you'd rather have somebody explain it for you to somebody else than you to have to come up with an explanation for why it's there. For you to have a, a reasoning, a justification for why, well, he didn't actually mean this, he meant that. Well, actually, the Greek says this, pastors do this all the time, I'm like, oh, this is a really hard word, but I have Bible software and I can explain it away. (laughs) I had that temptation so badly this week, reading this text, and as you notice, we skipped forward a little bit, so practically together we read over a passage today that I was like, don't have the capacity or the margin to deal with that on this Sunday. These three particular hard teachings of Jesus are enough for today. That's a teaching of Jesus. Let the worries of today be sufficient thereunto. So let's worry about these right now. And this is maybe the conclusion, or at least the, the, the way that it confronted me this week, that when we think about being an apprentice of Jesus, that if we are to be as apprentice, we can't just take some of what we like about it and then throw at everything else. We gotta be confronted by all of it. We gotta take that really, really seriously. So we begin with that, that first word. A disciple, a mathetes, an apprentice, a pupil, is not above the teacher nor a slave above the master. It is enough for the disciple to be like the teacher and the slave like the master. master. Set aside that one, the language of slave and master is uh, something that I've heard people try to explain away over and over, like, well, you know, slavery was different back then. And I'm like, pray tell, what's the good version of slave and master? (laughs) But let's, again, just focus on this idea of being a mathetes, a a pupil, a disciple. It is enough for the disciple, it is enough for the the second one to be like the first one. There's this pattern, and I've shared it before, just to keep in mind as we go into next week too and Amy preaches, that what it means to be an apprentice, there's kind of four-fold, four kind of dynamics of being a disciple, of being a mathetes, of being an apprentice. And it carries over into how we understand it today for a plumber or a craftsman or a tattoo artist. The first stage is the master works and the pupil, the student, the disciple watches. They oversee it. They're like, I got to see how this is done. Then the second stage is the, the teacher, the master works and the disciple, the pupil, the apprentice helps. They kind of get their hands in there. They, you know, like they sheepishly hold the flashlight while the dad changes the tire. <laughs> The third stage is then the pupil, the disciple, having watched and learned and, and moved enough that they could do it and then receive help from their teacher. And then the, the fourth stage is the teacher watches, steps back, and lets them do their work, even if they know they're not going to do a good job, to let them try and fail and make a mistake. That's the fourth stage, that the, the pupil works and the teacher watches. 
But keep that, that, that in mind as we kind of look forward to what it means for, for this to be the foundation of everything we do to follow Jesus, that, that at first we just want to watch Jesus and read these texts, and even if we have a negative reaction to them, just ingest them and observe them over and over again. And then if there's a command to dip our hands in it and try it. And then step out and say, I'm going to try, but Jesus, as I, as I do this, would you help me? And then take the next step and say, okay, Jesus, step back a little, just watch. Am I doing an okay job? <laughs> and we keep that in mind. A, a helpful vision for me is when I first learned guitar. A lot of that first learning was not looking at chord sh- charts or anything like that. It was watching my dad play. And I was an apprentice of my dad. The only difference between apprentice professions or artisan relationships than they are from Jesus, the only big difference is that you never then become a master yourself. I think we really fool ourselves. I think we, we can become a master like Jesus. That the, in following Jesus, it's a hard thing, especially for Western Christians to hear, you will always be a student. You will never reach the bottom. You will always be in the depths of learning. Uh, Yoda in The Last Jedi says, they, the pupils, are what, uh, uh, we are what they grow beyond. Sorry, Rachel's here, and I, I messed it up. I'm sorry, big Star Wars fan. Uh, we are what they grow beyond. And as wise as Yoda is, it's not about Christian discipleship, that we never grow beyond being a disciple of Jesus. The next hard word, I should have only picked one. Uh, Do not think I've come to bring peace on earth, but I've come to bring a sword. That we think of Jesus as this peacemaking God, and of course that's what he is, but what does he mean when he says I've come to bring a sword and not peace? I heard Tim Keller talk about it, that uh, he, he heard a preacher say, it's as if um, you go to a, a church or you, you go to a club or you go to someone's house and use me as an example, you step up and they say, okay, we want Colin to come in, but we don't want Bagby. We want one half, one part, we don't want the other part. Jesus is essentially saying like, I want all of you and that's gonna be divisive. And just to kind of speed to the point of this one is then we look forward to this image of Jesus coming in Revelation and he has a sword then, but the sword comes from his mouth. And it ties hand in hand with what these words are today that the sword of Jesus is not violence, power over sword. It's a sword that divides by the words that he says because the things he has to say, including love your enemies, is divisive and repulsive to some and countercultural, and I come not to bring peace, that is not to just make everything cozy and nice and pat you on the head, but I've come to bring you a difficult word that's gonna be divisive and I wanna prepare you that it might push people away. And that's to simplify it a little bit. The last one, um, the last word, kind of summing up all of these together is, those who find their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. I want to say, like, it's as if Jesus were looking down the corridor of time at our very moment because it's really popular and hot right now to say, like, I'm finding myself. And Jesus says, if you're trying to find yourself, you're going to lose yourself. He, like, put the words in Eminem's mouth. You know, you got to lose yourself. <laughs> you know, like, train, drops of Jupiter. Like, you're, you're looking for yourself out there. And Jesus is saying, like, you're not going to find it on your own. So the way you find yourself is by losing yourself to me, by yielding yourself to me, by surrendering yourself to me. To be my apprentice, you have to give it all up. You can't be an apprentice of one and of me. You cannot serve two masters. You have to give it all to me. You have to lose yourself to me totally, wholly, entirely. 
I'm reminded of Ronald Rollheiser, who's a Catholic priest and author. He actually is in San Antonio. So I'm at a retreat here recently. And he divides the Christian life up into three stages, into thirds. The first third is you get your life together. And we talk about that colloquially all the time. The first 20-something years, you're getting it together. And then the second third, you're giving that life away. That's the biggest third, that second third. And then the third third is you give your death away. That's tapping into this very teaching of Jesus that in order to find your life in me, you must lose it. You must give it all away. I want to invite you this week um, to give it a shot. And that sounds uh, way smaller than it really is. <laughs> but this is what I mean by that, that, that if you could just crack open the Bible, and I'd say let's start in Matthew 5 and read onward. And if you have a, a red-letter Bible that's kind of a little bit of a hack here, that is you open up Jesus' words, the, the, the thing that we're most prone to do, that we're kind of trained to do, is you'll go over a passage of Jesus, and you're like, oh, I like that. I'm going to copy that one and paste it on Facebook, or I'm going to send it as an encouragement to someone. Please keep doing that. But then our other inclination is like, I'm not equipped or prepared to be confronted by this one, that Jesus comes to bring a sword but not peace, or that we should kind of pit our family members against one another, or that we can't be a master, that we have to always be a student, a pupil, a disciple in some way. And you'll find one, I, I know it for a fact, <laughs> that you're gonna have a visceral initial reaction to. And I would say, hug it, <laughs> embrace it, be confronted by it. Maybe don't share it on your Facebook <laughs> initially. But if you do, to raise the question, to say like, hey, I'm struggling with this. Or when Jesus says this, I don't know what he means. And what you're doing is you're inviting other people around you, you're giving them permission, you're giving them comfort, you're offering them a community to say, hey, me too. I don't get it. And that's the, the, the company I want to keep, the community we want to build, the sort of people we want to be. So not to say like, okay, uh, Jesus' words are hard. That's easy enough to say, but to say, we're going to tackle them and wrestle with them. And if we want to be his apprentices, we're going to learn what it means to be his disciple, his pupil, his student together. A, a, a pupil or a, an, an apprentice of a plumber, I mean, there's some nice things about it, maybe the pay, but there's also some literally really stinky things about it. <laughs> And likewise with a tattoo artist or likewise with any sort of craftsman or an art that like you start to make beautiful music on the guitar but the tips of your fingers hurt badly. <laughs> that you have both and that to, to be an apprentice you embrace both the difficult part of it and in order to get to the beautiful part of it, to the music making part of it, you go through the difficult part of it. To be Jesus' apprentice and his pupil is not to say like, I just can't deal with these hard parts right now, is to look at them and notice our reaction and not use them as an opportunity to run away to say like, okay, when I have that reaction, I wanna step closer, I wanna lean in. And that's to say, again, this is the whole point, this is the whole ball game, this is the whole foundation of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus is not picking and choosing the, the difficult ones and the hard ones or trying to explain away the difficult ones or give them a cutesy little story to say, Jesus didn't actually say this, but to say even openly out loud to other people in this community, this is tough. And I don't even know what Jesus is asking of me, but can we figure it out together? As a, an image I saw this week, I think is an encouragement to me and kind of an encouragement to you as we go out on this to journey together. As I saw this video of this uh, little boy and his dad in the cockpit of a flight simulator. 
And the dad started to lift off, and the son, is probably four or five years old, started to freak out. And he's like, land it, land it, land it. He's crying, he's screaming, and he's like gripping onto the side. And his dad's like, no, grab the thing, and like tilt it around. He's like, no, no, I don't want to, turn around. Because in that moment, he felt like it was real, and his heart dropped into his stomach, and he, and he was just unmoored, unanchored, flying in the air. He was in a simulation. And his dad said, no, you turn around. <laughs> And the son looked back and he saw the door that he came in to sit in the cockpit and knew in that moment that he wasn't up in the air. <laughs> you're gonna read these passages. You're gonna be confronted by Jesus' teachings, especially if you take seriously being his apprentice. And I wanna encourage you and just give you the promise that it, sometimes it's gonna make your heart drop into your stomach. You're like, I don't know if I can do it. Because in the, in the same way that we're confronted by these difficult teachings of Jesus, we're also in every moment told by Jesus, do not be afraid for I am with you. Turn around. Remember the initial promise. Remember the initial invitation that from the beginning I never said, all right, go out there, good luck. But first I'll do it and then you watch. And then, then I'll do it and then you'll help me. And then I'll let you do it and I'll help you along the way. And then one day you will do it and you will bring other people to me that you're never unmoored, you're never unanchored, you're never just totally lifted off without any help, without any supervision, that you have me and you have this community, you have the church, this gift that I've given to the world. Come be my disciple. Come follow me, come listen to me. Even when it's hard with open hands and an open heart to be more like me. And let's wrestle. Let's confront one another. Let's figure it out together to see what it means to be an apprentice, a disciple, a pupil, a student of the way of Jesus. You are not alone. Let's do it together. Let's pray. Jesus, a simple prayer from all of us is that in every moment, when we're confronted by you and what you teach and what you invite us to and what you ask us to believe, would you walk with us in it? Would you remind us of your presence would you help us learn from you to be your students? Would you open our hearts to be more like you? Would you give us the courage and the honesty, the openness to say, this is difficult. I don't understand. I need a companion. Would you be our companion every step of the way? Would you come meet us at this table so we know we're not alone? Would you surround us by the people in this room to be your disciples, to be your pupils? We ask all of this in your name, teacher, rabbi, master. Amen.